Put your headphones so we can put them around your neck or around the thing so we can right. here. How's our piece up just a little bit? Okay. We'll try to catch the beat. Okay. So that's my quick. Uh, uh. I, I almost feel like I'm on a low budget porn and my brother's recording. Oh, no. How's that? Well, you know, you do have a you do have a big black thing in your face right now. I so it, that should feel comfortable for you. It's, it's, it's normal. It's an everyday affair for you. I have to. I have to look at the invite. If it was a thousand dollar invite or a five hundred dollar invite, because that would depend on my comfortability. Right. So, so I, I walk in the house, and Mitchell goes, "Does it smell like weed in here?" And I said, "Yes." He goes, "Oh, I lit a candle." <laughs> <laughs> I tried to make it not smell like a weed candle. I think that's what it was. How, ask him how the audio is. Is it better? No, I'm still, it's still really muffled. Listen, I mean, I can put on headphones if you guys want, and that might, uh, let's see what I got here. Is this better? No, I'm telling you. You know what? Increase your input. That's the thing. Okay. All right, hold on. Let's see what we got here. See, you're a puppet. With the producer 2,000 miles away, help you out. Yeah, right on, man. Hey, would you mind, can you put this on the internet when we're done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> MacBook speakers built in. Yeah, yeah. Try again. All right. Yeah, yeah. This is much better now. Better. Is better. it better? Okay, so you can hear us. I switched you over to my display speakers as opposed to my MacBook speakers. So makes sense. So does, it, does anything make sense? <sighs> Not in this world, man. Good Not to see you guys. Likewise, likewise. How's uh, New Mexico treating you? Wonderful. What's uh, what? What made you move from California to Mexico? New Mexico. It's the new right. Um, we, uh, you know, Susan. That's my lovely wife. Oh, Susan. you're married now. I thought. Okay, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Don't married have to now. Come on. That's all right. I'm out of the loop. And, uh, yeah, and. Um, uh, yeah. So, okay. So Susan, my wife, um, as when COVID hit, we were both working from home mm. and, uh, we were looking to buy a place in Los Angeles. We were renting our house in LA and we wanted something that was bigger. And, uh, you know, cause we were both working at home. We wanted something that was bigger that would give us more yeah, office, more comfortable. Right. Yeah. Yeah, more comfortable. And uh, listen, we thought COVID, this is going to be a great time to buy a house. Mm. And we couldn't be less correct about that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, atrocious. The, the, the inventory, yeah, yeah. Well, the inventory in LA was just shot to shit because, uh, you know, money was cheap at the time. So, the, you know, there were no houses for sale and the ones that were for sale, it was just a total seller's market. So anyway, long story less long, um, we started looking at houses and then one night, so, so Susan has a friend who lives here in Albuquerque. It's her best friend from uh, growing up. They've known each other since they were like nine and she's lived here for a long time. Susan's visited a number of times, loves it here. 
and she sent me a listing for a house and i was like that house is great wait mm-hmm. new mexico <laughs> and she said yeah what do you think i was like listen i'm down i'm i'm cool with that all my friends are you know married kids in los angeles i wasn't seeing them a ton anyway yeah and um work-wise we were able to swing it with both of the i mean you know i work with a lot of different people mm. but susan the company that she was working with said yeah go for it you're working remotely it doesn't matter if you're in guam or Albuquerque, <laughs> los angeles that's so, awesome what an oh awesome God. opportunity yeah total awesome opportunity and we love it here cost of living is fantastic the weather is magnificent um you what know, are gas but, prices out there currently What's that? What what is gas at currently out there? I saw gas for three forty nine yesterday. It's a deal. It's such a deal. Yeah. And yeah, so so I think on average, most of the places I see it, it's four oh nine. But I've been seeing it for three oh nine. What is what is it up by y'all's? I don't know. Fours. uh, Mid fours cost me ninety eight dollars to fill up my truck the other day. What kind of truck are you driving? Just a Silverado. Yeah. How big? Is, what? What is that? I mean, that's a big gas tank. <laughs> yeah. Or are you filling it up with like ninety-three octane? Fuel? No, it's not a rocket ship. No. Yeah. It's just a regular fucking truck. Yeah. Zach, you lied to me. You said Mitchell was was driving a rocket ship. <laughs> it was just to get you on the interview. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was I just to get you here. Talking about. You're like the Jeff Bezos of of Bloomfield. <laughs> that's that's what they refer me to as the jeff bezos of bloomfield how did yeah. how did you guys link up with california how that whole situation he moved out when he was a uh, you know 18 years old gone for five years you roped him into it what's the story who are we talking about zachary california for five years what what happened with that how that whole thing happened i was paying it forward <laughs> so when i when i first moved to los angeles i moved to la in 95 uh, and I moved out because I had cousins that were in the entertainment business and they were doing that was my next question okay. quite well for themselves They're, on my mom's side of the family, you know, we're related on dad's side of the family. And so on my mom's side of the family, I had uh, TV producers and feature film writers, okay. um, Emmy, Oscar winning people. And for some reason, they, uh, they had it in their mind that I was going to move to Los Angeles after college. And I knew nothing. I, I, I didn't know shit about Dick when it came to the entertainment industry. I didn't know anything about Los Angeles, I, like nothing, you know, I mean, I'm in Detroit and I have had very little exposure to that world, if at all. That's exactly what I was, what I was, what I was going to bring up next is, you know, how did how did you how, you know like you said you, you moved from Detroit to LA LA in my opinion is like the big show you know right. how did you, you know were you just like kind of like a fish out of water how how did you feel about it were you like oh I'm ready to do this or okay like, oh, so, all right so let's let's take it from the beginning so so you'll be able to cut that in the story like so ever yeah. since like when I was in high school it was when my cousins started to um, take off in Hollywood. One of them, he wrote and won the Oscar for Ghost for Best Original Screenplay. Um, That's Bruce Joel Rubin. 
and uh, my other cousins are Mark Levin and Jennifer Flackett. Um, you ever see the, um, you ever see Big Mouth on Netflix? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's their show. Um, <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. Prior to that, they were on Wonder Years and LA Law and Melrose Place. And wow. Southern Exposure. No, uh, Northern Exposure. No, no, Southern Exposure. Southern, what the hell was it called? It was like a Northern Exposure knockoff, but in the Caribbean. Um, and, uh, you know, so between them, like I said, they got it in their mind. I was just kind of a hustler back in Michigan and they just always liked my hustle and, um, all the way. Hey, Alex just got here. What's that? Who did? Alex, Farmer John over here. Wait till you see him. You'll love him. Yeah. Look at this guy coming in with overalls. Look at this guy. What the? <laughs> Is he the chainsaw massacre or what? Wow. Oh. Seriously, put an apron on that guy and get him a chainsaw. <laughs> I was just playing with a chainsaw. That's what I was doing. Have a seat. So, okay, hold on. So this is news to me that, that at the time that you were paying it forward, because the, the way that I remember it uh -huh. was uh, it was just a, a long phone call as we have every so often and kind of ended with just come out to LA crash at my place and uh, we'll see what happens. Right. So that, that is okay. So the, the backstory though, is that I had somebody who pulled me to okay. Los Angeles. Mm, wow. And, and again, I didn't know anything about anything about sure. living in Los Angeles, working in Los Angeles, Yep. Nada. And um, so Mitch, to, Mitchell, to your, to your question, you said, you know, was I scared, you know? Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. Were you like fish out of water? Like, oh shit. I just took on something that I don't, you know, think I could do. Well, no, no, absolutely not. That never crossed my mind. Good. I knew I, I had all the confidence in the world that I would be able to succeed and, and, and find my way and do well. Um, so I, before I made the move, I had interviewed at a, the four biggest talent agencies in Hollywood, mm. CAA, which at the time was the biggest, William Morris, ICM, and UTA, not to be confused with what you're familiar with, which is UTI. <laughs> and, uh, you just couldn't help yourself. <laughs> I saw the fucking yourself. smirk on your face. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't you leaned into it. So, I interviewed at all these places and I knew that I wanted to get into the agent training program at these places. The agent training program in, uh, in talent agencies, it's like harder to get into than Harvard Law School. They have like 1,200 applicants for every one that they choose to bring into the program. And, you know, a little bit of nepotism with my cousins. And then I had also, while I was in college, just, you know, engaged in a bunch of different entrepreneurial activities that, <laughs> they were, that they were fans of, you know, when I was interviewing and I got an offer from ICM and, it, and at the time ICM was fucking huge. I mean, it was like Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Meg Ryan, Mel Gibson, Denzel Washington, uh, you name it. I mean, it was just a huge roster. It was ridiculous. So, and I got, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. Okay. So, um, what did they, what did they have you come on for exactly? 
Okay, so in the training program, so there are two different things that you can do when you get into an agency in Hollywood. Okay. You, can either, you can either start out as an assistant and that's just, it's, it's a glorified secretary. I mean, you are doing everything for that agent, um, rolling phone calls for them, keeping track of their contracts, keeping track of the phone logs, who's in, who's out, all correspondence in and out of the office. So um, basically running your agent's life. And um, that's one way to get in. And then the other is the agent training program. And that's where they start you on the bottom floor. Literally, they start you in the mailroom. Wow. So I started, yeah, so I started in the mailroom, pushing a mail cart, 200 bucks a week. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. To push mail? What's that? So, so that's how you started off in this career by pushing mail? Just yeah. getting in the floor? Yeah. So yeah, did they did they know that you had um, like a production background that they played with cameras that you screen wrote stuff? I didn't have any of that. Oh, okay. Wow. D, D, none of the above. I had none of that when I moved to Los Angeles. All I had was hustle. So and you learned all that. Yeah, I learned all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't learn that at school. I was a political science major. Wow. I and I remember when I first, when I, okay, so to get into the agent training program at any of these places, you have to go through 10 interviews, 12 interviews at each of the different agencies. If you want to get in, I went through, I think I went through 10 interviews at ICM with everybody that sat on the agent training panel. Mm. And the reason, the difference between assistants and, and agent trainees is that agent trainees are on the track to become talent agents. Okay. specifically and they take and the agents take the time to train you up teach right. you about it so then you're not just running your agent's business but we were also actively looking for talent well actively looking for talent required to read scripts we used to have to do what's called coverage which is essentially a book report on scripts and that's where i learned how uh, that's where i learned about storytelling about what hmm. works what doesn't work about why things work the way they do work is it marketable? Can it be sold? What stars do you think we could attach to it? All that stuff. Wow. We were, as trainees, we were responsible for taking a look at all the material that came into the agency, doing this coverage on all of these scripts. And then, I mean, like I said, we had to give a book report. I mean, every weekend. It seems very taxing. It's, oh, dude, it's very taxing. It's hard as shit. When I was in the mailroom, check this out. When I was in the mailroom, this is who I was in the mailroom with, okay? Kid who had just graduated, he was the captain of the Harvard soccer team, okay? Wow. I had, <clears throat> I had another guy who had just graduated from NYU's law school. I had another guy with me in the mailroom who had just graduated from UCLA's business school, MBA. Wow. I had another guy, a girl that I worked with, um, her father is an extremely prolific rock and roll uh, manager. Um, I, didn't, I, I had a couple of kids who were straight out of USC. So it's like, and I came out of fucking Eastern Michigan University. So when you <laughs> hey talk now. about- hey Eastern, Yeah, exactly. But when you talk about fish out of water- Right. Totally a fish out of water. It wow. was you, like movies have been written about the experience that I had and and you know, because here I am, I'm amongst like giants. You know, oh, what did you say? 
I said, amongst giants. It's kind of what it felt like for sure. But the thing that was great is that they really, all, all of the people when I started in the mailroom, you know, it's like, it's kind of like being in a fraternity, I suppose. We were all in it together. We were all, didn't matter what our background was. We were still making 200 bucks a week, pushing mail carts, reading every contract that came through the mailroom. Because in those days it was faxed. Contracts were faxed across. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, email was really just starting to proliferate at that time. And that's how we learned who did what, why they did what, how they did what. And it's, and it's really, it's, it's like getting your MBA in the entertainment business. Working baptism by fire is what it sounds like. Dude, total baptism by fire. <laughs> and, and it, and it's a real sink or swim environment. It's, 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 we were all cool with each other, but it's, a, it's, there's a lot of competition. I was going to say it, it comes down to, I feel like almost the last man standing kind of thing. Maybe not, but maybe, I don't know. Well, you could have been, you, you could have been just like a comedian if that failed. Cause you look so funny. Oh, come on. Well, if you think that's, I mean, you should see my deck. All I'd have to do. Is <laughs> well, and, when you were saying agent trainees, I thought it was, you know, you could confuse that with Asian Chinese. <laughs> and <laughs> so I was just wondering, is that anything that ever, you know, was confused? Like. You're an Asian trainee. Like, would you say that to an Asian Chinese person? Um, that's a great question. And yeah, I would, as a matter of fact. And do you know why? He would. Because unlike you, I'm not racist. No, no. So, yeah, I have no problem. I'm just something. a good old Midwestern boy. I yeah. uh, hate everybody equally. Wearing your overalls. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I should um, borrow your flannel shirt. We should not yes. tell them that we're Jewish. Yeah. No. You would never believe it if we were Jewish. You would never don't, believe don't it. Don't do that. No, never. No. And that's the other thing, too, is that when I started in Hollywood, I was like one of the very few Jews who was working in Hollywood at the time. There are no Jews that work in Hollywood. So, doesn't work it was, so talk about a fish out of water. I, I was... Yeah, I was like a gefilte fish out of water. <laughs> Where are you at now? Are you in New York? Are you in LA? I'm in New Mexico. You're in new the New Mexico or the old one? The New Mexico. New Mexico. Okay. Boy, it's so is weird. It, it's it not caught up. Mitchell didn't know that I was married. I know, dude. The last time I saw you was at uh, your sister's wedding, bro. Your bar mitzvah. Yeah, that's true. And I and I got married a year later. Okay, so wow. in my defense, I didn't know. In your defense, and I'll also give you in your defense, I was, uh, it was a very small ceremony. We just had our parents. That was oh, it. Cool. Oh, very did good. It, no, that's did it in New York City. So, so is that where you are uh, betting currently? You're, you're, you guys are living in New Mexico? Yeah, we're living in New Mexico. We moved oh, here okay. a year and a half ago. Yeah, oh, okay. Oh, they rent Albuquerque. It's great. Wow. It's so what's so what's so different about the New Mexico? Well, here's the thing. Well, a couple of things. So one is that I almost don't want to talk well about the city because I like it to be a well-kept secret. And I know that this podcast has a listener base of like millions. And I don't oh, want to spoil man, the, uh, and I don't want to spoil what we've got here. <laughs> yeah, but, don't turn it into Texas, whatever you do. What city are you at? Albuquerque. Uh, that's like, yeah, the only city in New Mexico. You got you got Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Yeah. 
Santa Fe is just a type of sandwich. What about Las Cruces? Everybody knows that. What's that? What'd you say, Zach? Las Cruces? Yeah, Las Cruces is a city in New Mexico as well. Well done. Yeah. So you work you work in the you work in Eastern the Michigan University. Yeah. No, that's yeah. that's Eastern Michigan University. Huh? Las Cruces. Uh, geography. 103. So yeah. so let me get back to the questions here, because this is getting pretty interesting. And I didn't know any of this. That's that's pretty interesting. So you went from pushing mail. Uh, pushing mail around to to being an executive producer for like the history channel discovery channel all these things that's a that's a that's a huge step up from the mail room that's pretty cool how did that how that whole thing happen overnight <laughs> overnight immediately somebody just saw me and said we like the way you push a mail card we like you executive producer material right here <laughs> um really a long listen man like i said mail mail card right 200 bucks a week and by the way that was pre-tax 200 bucks a week so it was i mean i remember being a pa and it was i don't know five or six hundred bucks a week and that's inflation purely and the one thing that i remember which was really funny was people on set or that that drove a car into the studio were so anal about their parking spots and you know i parked wherever and had to walk half a mile to get to the set and i i got it it's because you work your ass off to get a parking spot by whatever set you're on so if somebody's in your parking spot or you want this spot or that spot i understand because it was just it was a hard road to get there it was not a it's so there are, there are people that get real. lucky, I feel like, and, and, and there are people that work very hard like yourself. Um, so I can understand, but you could park your razor scooter, like right near the door, right? You still do that. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, yes, I do. Okay. I do. Sometimes I'll even bring it inside because I don't yeah. want anybody to take it. Very cool. All right. Yeah. So I'm going to ask, so it was a pay it forward thing. And this is news to me, truthfully. Like I didn't, I, until this moment, I had no idea that it was, uh, uh, pay it forward type of situation. What did you, I guess, from your perspective, what did you expect it to, what did you expect the outcome to be? Not what it is. Okay. Speaking frankly, not what it is. So, okay. So same thing. Okay. So one of the things that my cousin saw in me was my ability to relate to other people. Um, Interpersonal relationships are what everything is based on in in the entertainment business, as I know it. L'chaim. L'chaim. It all comes down to interpersonal relationships, whether or not we like to work with one another. Because we can learn the technical aspects of what we do. Now do we like to work with each other? That's the thing that keeps the that, that keeps the train moving. Has there ever been a? I just want to finish answering Zach's question. Here. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. So, so Zachary, what I saw about what I what I saw in you was that you have, and, and I think it's in our family. Our family has storytelling abilities, yeah. and storytelling brings people together, makes people feel comfortable in your presence. A good sense of humor, a little joke here and there. It eases things, it warms up the room. And when you can do that and you can warm up the room, and if you're a good communicator, if you know how to listen, if you know how to talk when at the right time, 
All of these things are super duper important in business, in my business especially. And I think it's important in, in any business actually. Um, so to that end, I saw that in you, Zachary, you know, um, you know, we would keep in touch and, and have long conversations, however sporadically we did. And when you graduated from school, what, what were your options, Zachary, when you graduated from school, what were your options? So it was, there was a point where uh, the, the natural step would have been to, to go with my dad. Um, in what kind of business is that? It was uh, landscaping. landscaping. Right. So, I mean, my dad was very successful. He's doing it to this day, 45 years later, started when he was 14 mowing lawns and has built this large commercial, you know, landscape businesses to, to what it is today. And so mm -hmm. that was a natural progression. Um, I was the first as just, I guess, based on the order to, to go to college. Um, graduated from college and I, I just, first I family, saw really dad, mom, mom and dad never went to college. Yeah. Yeah. I was the first, listen, I think I was the first in the Lehman line to graduate from college. Mm. So I don't know. I just, I felt like it wasn't, um, wasn't in my cards. Not that I was better than it. It just wasn't what I loved to do. And I didn't know. Okay. So, and then this is why this is the pay it forward yeah pay it forward was being able to look at somebody who had potential that was beyond what metropolitan detroit had to offer sure not saying it's better i'm saying it's beyond what metro detroit had to offer it's something different an opportunity to spread your wings and for me i am to this day grateful and thankful for the fact that I was able to find something that I love to do and something that, listen, Michigan's great. Detroit's wonderful. You know, it's all well and good. I just felt in my heart that I needed something bigger and something different. I, I knew somewhere inside I had something, um, Elsewhere. I guess, I guess creative, you know, that I needed to exercise. Maybe yeah. I didn't really know it fully at the time, but I knew, I, I knew, I knew, dude, the second that I walked into ICM for my interviews, I went to ICM, I went out there, I interviewed, and then I came back to Michigan. Mm -hmm. And then I moved out to LA a couple months later, because from the time they hired me to the time I started, I think it was two and a half months. There was a, there was a okay. great time. Sure. To but I remember when I came out to interview for the first time, and I walked into that parking garage, not walked in, I drove into the parking garage in my rental car, and it was like Porsche, Porsche, Jaguar, Benz, Rolls Royce, Jaguar, Benz, Beamer, Porsche, Beamer. And totally I was like, Celica. Holy yeah, shit. Toyota Celica, right, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. And I get into the elevator and I go up, and everybody's in like Armani suits. And, and it was just like, it's you know, coming from Michigan, it felt just like, phew, uh, you know, a, a what the light hell am I doing? what's that? It's like, you well, know, wait, wait, wait. So, so the reason why I give you that context is because, and it's not all about suits. It's not all about cars. It's not all about that stuff. I'm telling you, it's not like it took me years to get to that place. And that's not what it comes down to. But what it comes down to for me was the ability to do something different, to push myself, to grow, to expand, and to experience 
life in a cosmopolitan city. And I thought that you, Zachary, would thrive in an environment where you could spread your wings and let you know, let your freak flag fly, if you will. You know what I mean? Like just sure. Well, yeah. I mean, it was it was crazy to think about. Actually, one of the few times I've ever seen my my dad cry was when they dropped me off at the airport. <laughs> but I moved Over tears of joy. He just yes. had something in his eye. Yeah. yeah, something yeah. Wind. Um, I think <laughs> I had fifteen hundred bucks cash, my stuff, and that was it. And um my parents sent me on, I don't even know if I paid for, maybe they paid for the ticket out. And I think you, I don't know if you co-signed or helped me get you something with my first like car lease after I ended up moving out of your place for a year, but not, not once did I ever call them and ask for money. Um, We just made it happen, which was kind of, it was crazy. And and the whole journey, um, although didn't end in the entertainment industry, taught me that it's more important to know what you don't want to do than it is what you do because I found it you know I've been doing logistics now for almost nine years and I'm pretty good at it it's been nine years yeah yeah crap (laughs) yeah it's crazy so it's it's just to me the journey was similar because I, I mean I never I didn't know what the hell I was getting into. I had no fucking clue. Whatever was shown on TV is what I would see is what I knew about. And anything behind the camera or the scenes was, you know, new. And not that I didn't like it. The the experience was incredible, but um, it just, it was, it was rough and tough. And I was like, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's something better out there. What do you mean by rough and tough? Like a hustle and bustle that you, you know, it's, to? so I'll give you an example. There was a, a girl who at the, so one of the first shows that I ever got involved with was John Redman, um, the talk, which is still on today. Uh, I don't know that. I don't know if he's still involved in it or not. He is. Um, he is. He's still the, the oh, yeah. okay. So I was, I was the first employee, literally employee. Number one, I was, I was there. Um, and there was a, and I worked my ass off, like they're early, they're late, just did. I mean, I was doing his personal errands and there was a girl who had come in and her, I'll never forget her name. Her name was Alyssa Levy too, Mm -hmm. ironically, L-E-V-Y. And she ended up getting promoted to a producer position and started off as a PA well after me. And I'm like, dude, fuck this. Like how, like, what am I? I'm like, you know, and this is rough. And that was kind of my first true taste of, I guess, the real world. Uh, I mean, I've been, you know, promoted and demoted and promoted a zillion times since then. But I think that that was probably my first real taste of, I don't want to call it adversity, but just like, there's something we see more in her than you. And, and it is what it is. And so, um, I don't know, I kind of took a step back and, swallowed my pride and, and went on and ended up shortly after there going more into to corporate America. But that was, I don't know, that was just kind of the, the straw for me for whatever reason. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I, I understand that. And, and, and you, your journey has taken you to where you're supposed to be. You have a wonderful life. Yeah. And, and 
it's not, and it, and it is not for everybody. Listen, I tried to get my sister to move out here after college as well. I tried to get Sarah to move out here. I was like, what are you going to do? You're going back to Michigan to live in mom and dad's house again? What are you nuts? Like that's <laughs> gone completely across the country for four years. You've given yourself the opportunity to break away. And I'm, because I mean, as you know, relationships are key and, and nepotism is, is a help. I mean, this is how did you meet John Redman? Right. And it's right. So I, I, you know, I, I, the hard work, it's that work ethic, you know, you guys, the three of you guys that I'm sitting here staring at right now, all grew up, your dad instilled in you a a hard ass work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. Your dad's dude, your dad's one of the hardest working, most hustling people I've ever met in my entire life. And he's proof that hard work pays off. He's smart too, don't get me wrong. And he seized opportunities when they were presented to him. But those opportunities were presented to him because he worked his ass off to create those openings for himself. Do you see, so I'll say this, I feel like us kind of being the latter of the generation where there's true hard work. And I feel like, in today's world, it's how can I make more and do the less? Um, do you see a lot of that within the entertainment industry or is it kind of like the old school mentality where you just have to work hard to, to get where you're at? It's a really tough question. Vote. It's a really tough question. It's, it's, a really, um, it's a really salient question too. I think there was a time, I'd go back seven to 10 years And there was a time when I remember hearing about people complaining about the fact that they weren't being paid for their internships. They had just graduated from school, taken their first internships, and were complaining that they're working their asses off but not getting paid for them. And it became pretty pervasive in the entertainment industry. And I thought to myself, and, and then, listen, I'm just being completely candid. I thought to myself, that's ridiculous. The sense of entitlement that people feel right now. It's like we are in a position where if we are, if we want to go out and pre- I, I feel like we are privileged to work in this business. And I would and agree with that. And get to be creative. And, and anybody who gets to do something that they love to do is privileged to do that because there are not everybody has the opportunity to do what they love to do. Can you say that you love doing what you do? I absolutely do. That's yeah. in between. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Unequivocally. There's no question. I love what I do. If I didn't, I would be miserable because this work, this job, I, I, Dude, when, when I'm in production on something, it's seven days a week. Wow. And it's seven days a week. And it's on the, on, on the weekdays when everybody's jamming, it's 12-hour days. Wow. Easy, easy. And then on the weekends. But, you know, when you're, huh, when you're an executive producer, it's not just putting words on paper. It's not just planning a shoot and planning out the logistics. It's also managing individuals. So how did you, how did you, 
um, I guess, because let me just ask it in a better way. I heard that you just finished wrapping something. I don't know if you could talk about it or yet. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. If you can't, you know, dodge a question, whatever. But I heard that you just got done wrapping something up with Leonardo DiCaprio. How was working with someone like that? Is he, is he like kind of like the, the the Queen Madonna? Like I'm gonna fucking sit here and in my trailer and you know on the high tower kind of thing, or is he like a relatable person? Like did okay, you so here's the thing. Kind of cocky like All that? right. So I worked with Appian Way. Appian Way is the production company that Leonardo DiCaprio is an owner of. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, he has people. He has people that run his company, mm. that manage his brand, if you will, and make sure that what's being produced by his company espouses the brand identity that, that Leo has kind of created. You know, it's about being, it's about being eco-conscious. It's about being, uh, it's about being uh, responsible for the world around us, whether that's, and by the way, when I say eco, that means the planet and the animals that inhabit it. Sure. And, and, you know, I mean, of course it goes a little bit further than that, but that's, if we boil that all down. Now his people, they're, they're great. They were, his people that we worked with, the executives at his company, extremely supportive. Um, extremely and they're the best of the best at what they do they got to that position within that company because they garner um respect and have created a reputation for themselves as really knowing their shit so what they say they're the ones communicating with him mm. making sure that they're delivering for him what he wants right um on a creative level and you know business level and all that stuff too but um and then that's coming down um to us the producers who are working with them and i mean they're great i think that there's something to be said for if you're if you're playing at that level if you're working with people on that level that there's a certain amount of confidence in what they do so that the dickishness isn't there they know their shit they're good at what they do. They don't have to be dicks. Right. Um, and and th their word and their creative direction has a lot of weight to it. A ton. For sure. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. I'm putting that thing in my head. Just put that right there. All right. Don't mind the uh, the ghetto rig here. Anyways. Uh, so that was pretty cool, man. I didn't know anything about that. That whole yeah. uh, story about going out there and uh, doing the whole thing because you had cousins—that's uh, that's pretty neat. It so, just tells you it just tells you how important cousins are. Yeah, yeah, ain't that the fucking truth, guys? I don't know where I'd be without the two of you. I, yeah. I, I haven't talked to you in like. <laughs> I did talk to your sister the other day, actually yesterday. She's having a baby. I didn't know this. A baby. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's gonna name it Eric. <laughs> yeah, yeah. named it after Uncle Eric. That's great. Yeah, um, that's good. And what if it's a girl? Still going to name it Eric? Well, Eric, I, I asked her if she's going to find out what it is, and she said, yeah. "Yeah, when it comes out of me." Oh, yeah. I said, "Okay, fair enough." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to be the godfather of that baby. That's right. cool. Are you going to be down? Are you going to come or come up or come down? Where's Mexico? Where's Mexico? That's up. Up. 
for me getting there that's up yeah, yeah. okay so are you, you coming that's, up uh, that'd be north by northeast yeah that's uh and yes i will come in yeah for sure okay. oh you know not immediately i'll give it a week or two let her settle in and get get her act together because that first week whenever anybody has a baby it's just chaos it's chaos and, dude yeah it's absolute chaos you know what that's like mitchell me yeah say that again you broke up how many kids do you have now i have two stepkids you have two stepkids yeah yeah wait are you being sincere yeah well i mean you're not married but you've got no 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 but i'm a i'm a uh have a, my girlfriend of i don't know a year going on two yeah uh, has two kids and i am a stepfather of a three and a six-year-old and I know how tough it is. I know how tough it can be, but not newborn status. That I don't know. I haven't had any disrupt disruption of sleep yet. That's fun. Is the biological father still in the picture? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's all right. Him and I are cool. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I'm just, uh, just keep it Sorry. neutral. Sorry, you froze for a second. Oh, you're good. What did you last? I think I, I think I heard that you said that you guys are cool. Yeah, no, I got no problem with him. Him and I are fine. Uh-huh. At first, it was like a little uh, kind of like two dogs meeting, you know, both kind of had our chest. Sure. Out, like, Who's this? Who is this kind of thing? But uh, as soon as you realize that, I, you know, I'm like a super cool dude, put shoes on their feet and take care of his kids, you know, better than he does. Uh, I got to cut that out, obviously. Uh-huh. Time stamp. But uh, yeah, man, I enjoy being a stepdad. It's, uh, it's fun. Being a dad, being a parent, I'd like to do it for myself. What about you? Are you ever going to have kids? Yeah, and you know what? And you know what, Mitchell? The best part about it is that you, you're not going to have the stretch marks. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> His uterus is still blown out, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about us? No, no kids in the future for us. We are That's not, good. We are not doing, we're not kidding around. Good. No. Good, good, good. It's it's not for everybody. It is uh, expensive and it's tiring. Yeah, and I got to tell you something. I kind of like my sleep and I like my money. Yeah, so, they have and you know what else? I like being able to travel whenever I want to. I That's like cool. being able to just pick up and and just go, go, go to New yeah. Mexico because you want to. Yeah. How long? Yeah. I know. I know you had something to do with like uh, that deadliest catch show. How long were you on board with that? One season. One season? I was on on for one season. Mm. It was season... I think it was season five. Mm. Uh, I was on the boat. That was my next question. How was being on a crab boat, man? That's fucking nuts. You're just getting cigarettes flicked at you by Sig Hansen. (laughs) (laughs) It was the worst. It was the best. It's like Charles... Dickens. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Oh, it was uh, best ex- best experience. The most well, up until this thing that I did in Africa this last year, I'd say it was definitely the most uh, profound experience that I had had in production. Um, Near death experience. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, I can only imagine. I vaguely remember you telling me. Um, that it was like the one of the worst slash best experiences of your life, and you kind of thought you were going to go crazy for a second. Did you ever feel like you were turning into like Russell Crowe from Master and Commander? <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, no, it was, um, it is crazy making. You're stuck on this vessel in the middle of nowhere. It's 35 feet wide, 105 feet long. And and you're in the middle of the sea and you look out and on a calm day, when you can actually see out across the water, it's literally as far as the eye can see in any direction. Wow. Nothing. That's disgusting. It's so, so isolating and it is crazy making. Wow. And and then there are the days where it's just absolutely beautiful and the sea is totally glassy. And then there are other days where I mean I saw the I saw the sea freeze. I saw go. No way. Yeah, you see smoke on the water, you see steam coming up, and then you're Wow. And the whole thing just goes and just freezes like a flash freeze. It's just what? Crazy. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, because we were way far north. And then you're pretty north at that point. What's that? I said, I was going to say, you're pretty north. They're probably busting off ice from the from the bow kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. We were, they, had to, they had to hammer ice away. And then, uh, you know, there were days when we were out there and it was 40 foot seas all around us. Um, which is, I mean, think about how high 40 feet is. 40 feet is extremely high. That's like almost a rogue wave type of shit. That's scary, man. Yeah. That's precisely what they're called. Is that rogue waves? Is that a... Well, they can be. Yeah. When they come from out of nowhere, that's that's the rogue wave. Wow. Um, I didn't see any rogue waves coming at us, but when you You were... But what's that? You don't see them, right? Well, until it's too late. Until it's too late. That's wild. What's the what's the sketchiest thing you've had to rig up in order to get the shot? You know, have you ever? I'm sure. Oh man, (laughs) I'm sure you've had some pretty sketchy shit in your life. Like you duct tape your iPhone to like a broom. Yeah. Have you ever seen um, uh, shitty rigs? The the Instagram account. Yeah, shitty rigs is great because it's just people who are using duct tape, toothpicks, and pipe cleaners to figure out how to <laughs> rig up their cameras. Um, yeah, sure, we've had to do stuff like that. I'm trying to think, what's the the craziest? That's a great question. Yeah, I feel like that. That okay, I know what it is. I know what it is. Okay, back before there were drones. This had to be in 2000, I would say like eight. I was up in the Pacific Northwest. I think I was in Washington state and I was working on Axemen at the time. I was a supervising producer on that show. I used to love that show. And it was fun. Man, was that good times. So fun. That was uh, like Oregon, right? Oregon, Washington, Montana, Florida, New uh, uh, Louisiana, Alaska. Yeah, I, I remember when I remember seeing a picture of you on that, like the the film helicopter, as you will. Yeah, probably. That was so yeah. cool, man. You were over like this this forest of what just looked to be like broccoli tops everywhere, and it yeah. was like, wow, man. Yeah, listen, the trees though. <laughs> I was actually right. I was in a Monte Carlo and that was broccoli. Yeah. Uh, I just had the door open <laughs> on the Monte Carlo. Um, so uh, 
Yeah, I had somebody in the background doing those noises. The guy from Police Academy making those yeah. noises. So, uh, yeah, okay, so the, the rig that I'm talking about. So you asked me what's the shittiest rig that we've yeah. ever used. Okay, so before drones, I wanted to get an aerial shot of the, um, of the site that was being logged. So we went out and we found a guy in, in I think, Portland, Hmm, who, was a, uh, who was a who was a remote control airplane enthusiast, hmm. and we convinced him to come out, and we we um, we had a small camera. This it wasn't a GoPro, but it was a small camera, and we duct taped it to the bottom of this <laughs> remote control airplane, and he's flying it around. I, I have video of it. It's awesome. And he's flying it around. And I said to him, hey, can you get, can you fly through the knuckle boom? Which is, do you know what a knuckle boom is? It's like a, it's, it's like a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, a scaffolding arm. But, um, okay. It goes, it goes on a, um, it's not a forklift. It's a knuckle boom. You have like, there are boom trucks, which have like a, yeah, like a cherry picker on. joint kind of thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Kind of like that. But now imagine that there's, instead of just being the straight arm with the yeah. basket at the bottom, there's yep. a knuckle in it. So then this articulates as well. Oh, okay. So, right. So it's two parts. Yep. So I said, can you fly through the middle of the knuckle boom? And the guy's like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Oh god. He puts the we put the camera on his prized airplane. Thing had probably about a six foot wingspan. Wow. Flying it around. <laughs> looks awesome. And then as he circles it around and he starts to bring it back towards us, he goes, he tries to fly it underneath the knuckle boom and he clipped his wing. Oh. And the thing starts to flat spin out like like Tom Cruise and Goose and starts to flat spin. And then it goes off. And then it and then it fly and he tries to pull out and he and it or pull up and it and it flies off and it hits a tree and gets caught in a tree and it goes <laughs> all the way down to the ground. And the camera rolled on the entire thing. Oh, oh nice. Yeah, Got and our camera and our camera crew. This was this guy's prized uh, remote control airplane. Oh, he was he's devastated. Bored. He's devastated. But our entire camera crew standing behind him going, <laughs> trying to hold in the laughs so that we're not laughing out loud about the fact that this guy just lost his prized remote control airplane. Ultimately, we wound up replacing the airplane for him, but still, he was he was mortified. So, yeah, that was... Did you have bad. more fun... Um, on Axeman or Deadliest Catch? Oh, Axeman. Axeman. Yeah, yeah. Deadliest Catch there was was not fun. No. There was were, were the were the guys kind of jerks? No. 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 The, guys on, the guys on our boat were great. Okay. I was on a boat called the Incentive, and they were based out of Kodiak, Alaska. Mm. And um, th- I don't know if they did multiple seasons with the Incentive. I don't think they did. I think there was ju- they were only on in season five, and they were great. They were a lot of fun to hang with. Always good bullshit. Um, we ate really well. None of them smoked cigarettes. So I didn't have to worry about being in a cramped little space on the None boat. None of them did? Hey, you got, you lucked out, man. Wow. You lucked out heavy. 
I totally lucked out, but I got horribly seasick. Oh yeah. Not, it was not fun at all. Whereas X-Men, your feet are on the ground. We're running around the mountains all day long. And and it was just, you know, it was just, it's hard work. It's really hard work. They're long, they're 18 hour days out there on shows like that. Wow, 18 hour days. That's really pretty wild. Did you ever, have you ever seen in the show, it shows people like uh, they have like a rope or a, a pulley system that leads like all the way up or all the way down the mountain, wherever they're at. Yeah. Uh, have you ever personally seen anybody get like hurt? Um, Cause that has to happen out there. It does. No. If you, I think in season two, I don't know which episode number it is. In fact, you know what? I've been thinking about that lately. I need to pull that up. But somebody lost uh, like a finger or like an arm or something crazy. I think I know what you're talking about. No, no. I, I almost got killed. Oh, wow. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I made an episode of the show because there's what's called an upender, where as it's being pulled up, um, the, uh, it's, it, it, the, the machine is called a yarder. Yeah. Okay? A yarder. And the yarder has that line that goes all the way down the mountain and as they and they pull the the trees up the mountain it's a bit counterintuitive but it's safer to pull it up the mountain Mm. so as it was being pulled up the mountain um, there's a thing it's called an upender where like if a log is coming up the mountain like this you know it drags along the mountain very rarely is it fully airborne so it kind of drags up the mountain you've got the line here and it kind of drags up the mountain yep this catches it can Oh yeah. The oh. top of it catches, it can swing around on a pivot on a and it's like a um, you know, the, the fulcrum mm-hmm. is where the top where the end of that log is. And if it swings around, it can decapitate you pretty quickly. And all I heard was somebody yell, get down. And I didn't even look. And I face down on the ground and I feel wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of close calls. I haven't seen anybody get really hurt on those shows. Although the danger element is always, always there. Oh, man. Did, did they have like their own lingo? Like, you know, like, oh, I can't come into work today. I got a log jam going on, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man, that's hilarious. Um, not that I had ever heard of, but I think right. that. You know, if you wanted to write in, you could maybe make a suggestion. I like that. I think it's necessary to have stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Just wondering yeah. if, you know, some slang that they use or like the, the well, crap I up, guys. I have, I have a word that I made up, which Let's is, okay, so when you're out on a logging site, the only place to take a dump is on the logging site. So, because you're in the middle of nowhere. So right. uh, when you're taking a dump on a logging site, I, it's called a Sasquatch. <laughs> okay. I like that. All right. That's good. I like never that. caught on. Never caught on. Nah. Uh, were cut, you cutting a short log? Something like that. Pinching a log. Pinching a log. Yeah, there you go. That's good. Um, yeah. Have were you ever involved with um uh what's that show? Forged, where they do like the, the stuff forged in fire? No? Nope. Thank um, God, right? Boring. Boring. But no, you had something to do with hardcore <laughs> pawn, right? Yeah, I did. I was the co-executive producer on Hardcore Pawn. So was it actually that gangster in there all the time, or was all that shit just scripted? Because it looks mighty scripted. 
Um, there's a lot of, if you go into a, any pawn shop in the United States, I mean, they were a really, really busy place. And by the way, like I've got mad respect for the Golds, for oh, Seth Gold. I mean, they're absolutely. Just, they're awesome people. They they took really good care of me and they're, I, they, they got a spot in my heart, you know, like they, they treated me like family and it was great. But um, any pawn shop, when you think about it, a pawn shop is, is really a, um, it's a last resort for a lot of people. When they go in there, they're under a lot of pressure, you know, trying to pay bills and put food on the table and, and they're taking what they've got and coming in and they want to get the most for what they, you know, for what sure. they have. They want to get the most money for what they have. Yeah. But their expectations don't always line up with the reality of what something might be worth. And when that happens, um, there tends to be a lot of so uh, it was real then. Yeah. A lot of friction. There tends to be a lot of friction when when that goes down. So so uh, if you have like so you have you know some experience, what would you give me for my chain? <laughs> that one right there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's fake gold. So what are you gonna do? I mean, it's like <laughs> I, I don't know. I give yeah. you eight, 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 nine bucks for it. <laughs> I do that. I mean, how much did you pay for that at the flea market? Uh, I got it out of the 25 cent machine. It was in one of those plastic eggs. Uh huh. Well, you might be able to fool somebody with it and make some yeah. cash off of it. I, I could. Um, yeah. So tell yeah. us a little bit about this, uh, this, uh, this thing you're doing right now, puppy, pup, puppy bowl, or what, what, what was that? Pup, pup, pop a bowl, or what oh, was pop that? A bowl? Pop a bowl. Yeah. What is that? That's the name of my production company. Um, so when I when I go out and sell a show, if I package up and sell a show, I put that under my banner. That's my DBA, uh, my doing business as, and that's Papa Bull, P-O-P-P-A, Papa Bull. Papa yeah, Bull. That's the name like of my. That's the name of my company. So, do you have you ever uh, personally written a script for an actor to read? No. It's not what I do. Not in your wheelhouse. Okay. No, it's not what in my this, wheelhouse. What does being a producer people... exactly mean? Oh, shit. <laughs> do you think what I would make mean? it in Hollywood? What's that? Do you think I would make it in Hollywood? Now? Yeah. I don't know. Do you still have a retarded gag reflex? <laughs> I could swallow this microphone right here and you wouldn't hear a sound. Maybe a little feedback. Would... I think you would do incredibly well. Okay. You guys are. Uh, but. Uh, That's why they chose the girl over Zachary. She was sucking. Let's be honest. Nope. And cut that out, by the way. I would recommend that you cut that that that's that out. Like when you said tits or whatever. Like. Oh, yeah. Trust, trust me. Cut it. I'm looking out for your best interest. Going to 100%. All right, cool. So, um, because uh, once it's digital, it lives forever. And it's true. Got to err on the side of caution. Of so, um, so you asked, what does a producer do? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a really loose term. Okay. And there are a lot of different. So, a producer in feature films is different than a producer in television. Hmm. Uh, a lot of the roles that they serve are very, very different. A few of them are the same. And then there's a difference between producers who work in non-scripted television like myself versus producers who work in scripted television. 
So what I can do is I can tell you what a non-scripted producer does. Okay. Okay. So for me, what that what that title of producer means is that there are several different capacities that I can serve. First capacity that I can serve is, is one, I can come up with an idea for a television show and package that idea together. And what that means by package that idea together, it's, it means that I might uh, create an attachment agreement with unique individuals who have specialized and um, an exclusive access to a unique world. And I'm like, in other words, like let's say deadliest cats, right? You've got unique people who have a specialized skill, which is sure. crab fishermen. And then that world that they inhabit, which is you know the Bering Sea and actual the world of crab fishing, somebody had to say, all right, somebody didn't just go to the network and say, hey, I have an idea. What if we were to follow crab fishermen around? The people at the network would go, the okay, cool. <laughs> got so you have to think about that ahead of time. So Tom Beers, the guy who created that show, goes out meets all the crab fishermen, signs talent deals with them because he knows that these are interesting people. And then he packages this idea together. Interesting people, interesting world, exclusive access to that world. And he then goes to discovery and says, this is what I've got, you know, like puts it all in a box sure. and hands them the box and they go, this is great. We totally get the show. We see the people who inhabit it, um, that world. And we're going to make that into a television show. So that's one thing that a producer does, okay? And that's one of the things that I do. Mm. Second thing that I do is let's say a studio goes out and sells the concept of the show. Let's say Tom Beers were to take that concept, okay, for Deadliest Catch and, and take that to the network. And the network then says, okay, that's great, Tom, but who's going to oversee the show? Who's going to executive produce it? The showrunner, the person who oversees all aspects of the show, oversees all communication with the network, oversees all communication with the production company or the studio, manages the hiring and firing of people, manages the staff, builds up the creative, builds out the budget, the scheduling, hires everybody, oversees the logistics alongside the line producer and puts it all together. Okay? That's what an executive producer does. So that's the second thing that I do. And you still have a hair on your head. Yeah, it's <laughs> crazy, man. A little bit. That's a lot of stuff. That's a whole lot of responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility. It's essentially um, being brought in to become the chief executive officer of a startup. Every time a new show starts up, you're starting up a new business. The difference is, is that the thing that's being produced, instead of it being a widget, it's mm -hmm. a television show. At the end of the assembly line, the thing that comes off that assembly line is a television show. And you need somebody to run that entire operation, same as any other business. So that's also what an executive producer does. As a producer, uh, have you ever thought about filming a show about... Um, a son taking over his father's landscape business. <laughs> In overalls. In overalls. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, 
That's actually when you think about it, it's act. I know you're, I know you're bullshitting, but when you think about it, that's actually a really interesting storyline to follow. It's sure. classic. It's something that America understands. First of all, your dad built this business from the ground up. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so he's incredibly invested in it and he's incredibly invested in the success and the, the ongoing success of the business. Okay. Right. I mean, you could set up the plot like older brother turns his back on father, you know, middle child steps up, younger brother, fucking who knows. <laughs> yeah. And, Comes you know. a barber, starts cutting hair out of nowhere. Yeah. And then here's the thing about the actual business. So the thing that we ask ourselves is, first of all, is the story interesting? And the answer is, yeah, it's an American story. You know, it, it, what your dad did and by you stepping in and, and participating in the business the way you do, it's a classic American story. So yeah, everybody understands that. That's a cool story. Then the second thing that you have to ask is, all right, what are people going to see? What's the action of the show itself? Is there danger? Is there movement? Are there interpersonal? Is there is there interpersonal conflict on a daily basis? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 So all that stuff has to factor into it. Good drama. So, good drama. I could just picture it now, like you know, the big fight about the breakout commercial break. Yeah. Tune in next week. That's like, yeah. like a lot OC of choppers. How they yeah, what'd you do? You broke the root ball off of that tree. You son of a bitch. That's going to cost me $3,000. You know, $800 tree, you know? Yeah. You, you blew the hose on my $52,000 Bobcat. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. That's, a problem. Yeah. See, that's exactly it. Problems. Tune in next week. Yep. Tune in next week. And that's it. Did you ever have your hand in the gold shows? What's that? Did you ever have your hand in producing... Uh, like the, the gold digging shows? No. No? No. What would be, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll jump onto this question because this is a good question for you. What would be your very favorite project you've ever worked on to date that you could, because I'm sure there's a broad range. Like your, your gem, your cornerstone. Something that you're the most proud of that you've done. That you identify with, like Eric Lehman blank. Long pause. This is a good okay. One. This is a good one. I got him. I fucking got him. The most, well, I just don't remember anything anymore. Oh, why so would you? It's a lot. Second, cycle up. Um, the most. Really, it's the most memorable one. Oh, man. They're all, not all of them, but there's so many that are so memorable. All right. So here, a couple of things. One, this thing that I did this last year called Brave Mission which ran on YouTube for YouTube originals. That's the one I did with Appian Way, which is Leonardo DiCaprio's company. It took me to Africa. We were in the mountains of Virunga National Park, uh, up in the wild with wild mountain gorillas. And I mean, literally like, you know, this is close to mountain gorillas, just like. Oh, like, that's wild. It's, it's wild. And then, so, so that's memorable. And then just being able to be in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, this war-torn nation, and to see the humanity of it all. And it was just, it was very, uh, it affected me a lot, being in that environment, going through that, um, seeing the world. Like, you know, you go to other third world countries, you know, you go down to Mexico or what have you, and Mexico's not a third world necessarily, but 
go to sub-industrialized countries. Um, and I've been to a few, but this one just stood out in terms of just how stark day-to-day -day living, the difference of day -to -day, the day-to-day -day living in these areas versus what we're used to. Right, they can't just flip a switch. What's that? They can't just flip a switch over there. No, they can't just flip a switch. And it's, have you seen it? Have I shared you the link? No. Have you seen that thing? Mm -hmm. Oh, dude, I got to show you this. I'm going to send yeah. it to you. Um, so that's that's one thing that that I did. And, and we raised a lot of money for the rangers who patrol the the forest, the, the Congo Basin. For poachers, right? For poachers. Yeah, to protect against poachers. We raised raised a lot of money. And was, we got- Wasn't there a show about that? I don't know. I thought there should be if there isn't. Well, we just did one. And then, um, and we got Jane Goodall um, to join us in our campaign to raise money. It was really big, it was a big deal. And, it, and so, so that, that one really sticks with me. But I'd say like, I'd say the one that was the most fun was American Daredevils. We ran for, it was the best show that nobody had ever seen. Uh, never heard, I was gonna just gonna comment, I've never heard of it. No, we ran for one season on History Channel and it was all a bunch of guys who are, um, who are daredevils, like evil Knievel style daredevils. Wow. Who are jumping cars and crashing into things and lighting themselves on fire. And it was like are you telling me about this? I think you sent me the trailer. Maybe it was the best. It was like being in a sandbox as a kid playing with like a wind up evil Knievel motorcycle, but with real people. I mean, That's so cool, man. Building huge jumps, big pyrotechnics, cars, people getting hurt. Um, and it just it looked beautiful. It came out great. And you know, unfortunately, not every show gets traction. And but this one was just this one was the one blast. that got away. Yeah, we made 16 episodes of just we just made 16 episodes of insanity. And it was mm -hmm. so what hardcore, hardcore, what's that? What happens with that? Is it was it all for nothing? Is it just buried, you know, in some DVD case somewhere in Discovery Channel's locker? Like Archive, what, what, right. what happens with that? You can go to history pull channel. it out later. You can go to History Channel and watch it. You oh. can go on YouTube and watch it. Um, okay. so so it still lives, it's it's there. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen. When you think about the odds of a television show succeeding, it first of all, the odds of a television show being sold in the first place are really slim. And then making air, even after you sell it, the odds of making air are even slimmer. And then once you make air, the odds of making it to season two are that much slimmer. So really? the, odds of a the odds of a show making it to season two, it's like point, it's like 2% or something like that, you know, of, of everything that gets sold. It's ridiculous. So is it all just like analytical data to tell you if it'll make it to season two, or if it's just like people coming, like calling in or writing letters or emailing, we love the show, this shit's awesome. It's like a fan. Um, or like how's, how's, how does one base that? Analytics. That's what I thought. Okay. It comes down to the ratings and analytics because really, 
this is one of the things that I was raised to understand, not as a child, but professionally. One of the things that has been instilled in me in working in the TV business is that commercials aren't the things that interrupt television shows. Television shows are what happen in between commercials. You have to think that way. It's all ad supported. And if you don't have people who are watching the shows, that means they're not watching the commercials, which means they're not buying product. Mm. And, and you ultimately, you're ultimately, we're at the whim of advertisers. Interesting. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. That's what it comes down to. Shit. Yeah. It's, it's all business, man. It's all numbers. It's all business. Have you seen a big sway uh, within the past couple of years of, um, you know, there's less and less stuff on air and it's all, you know, more streaming or like the Hulu and the YouTube and all that type of stuff. You know, I remember growing up, you know, Discovery Channel, History Channel. I, I just feel like nobody watches that stuff like like we used to because it's all they're streaming. And, and has that affected your business at all? Tremendously. Oh, good question. When you think about, yeah, that's a, that's a great, first of all, very astute observation. And second of all, it's a great question because when you think about the direction that the television business, quote unquote, and I'm going to say television in that um, it shows up either on the TV that you buy, the thing that's called a television that you buy, or you watch it on your computer monitor, or you watch it on one of these, right? Cell phones. Either way, it's a screen. I, I, I reserve that because it's different than the feature film business where you go to a theater to watch it. These are things that you watch in your own time, in your home, wherever you want to be. You don't have to go pay to be a butt in a seat. Right. So listen, bef even before you, right? How old are you? Me? Yeah, you. 33. You're 33 years old. Yeah. Do you remember a time in your life when there were only three television networks? Mm, no, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. Well, when I was growing up, we had ABC, CBS, and NBC. Wow. That was it. That's all you had. That's all you wow. had. And then you had like channel 20, 56, 62. Those were all UHF channels that were all independently owned. And you'd watch like Little Rascals reruns and shit like that. Right, right. Okay. And then cable, the proliferation of cable came in the 80s. And that's when things really started to boom, right? And there was an expansion. So that expansion included the Discovery, MTV, uh, History Channel, A&E, you know, all these channels started to expand. Uh, the marketplace in terms of how much content is being pumped out. So we've gone from that to a point where now we're starting to see a consolidation where that's starting to shrink. It's almost like it's going supernova in that it's a star that's using up its own fuel and it's starting to condense because what we're seeing now is like, just as an example, I don't know if you guys know this, I don't know why you would, but I'll tell you is that just two weeks ago, Discovery merged with Warner Media. Hmm. Warner really? Brothers. Yes. Wow. So it's a good idea the, for them to do that. Are they going to do like a Paramount Plus kind of thing? Like, Yeah. So you've got Discovery Plus, right? Yep. Yep. And, and you've got Paramount Plus, which incorporates all of like the Paramount and Viacom outlets, which includes CBS, MTV, VH1, 
uh, Comedy Central, yeah. et cetera. Okay, that's all Viacom. And, and then you've got Paramount, which runs the movie business, right, essentially. Yeah. And that means they control the distribution of all of the content they create. So with the streaming services, what we're going to see, what we are seeing is that, you know, just as an example, like Disney bought Fox. What? That's insane. Yeah. Disney yeah. bought Fox. Mm -hmm. Disney bought Fox. So now Disney, that's how they got hold of the Star Wars yeah. catalog. And, and, and once they did that, under the Disney, uh, uh, Disney Plus app, you've got all of the streaming services for, you can, and, and you will soon be able to go to your ABC owned things like ESPN, ABC, and all of the cable outlets that they own as well. It's all going towards streaming now. Yeah. We're getting to that place where TV as we know it is, is going the way of the buffalo. And yep. there's a reason for that. You ready to get into some real micro, some, some real minutia about this? Yes. Okay, so here's the thing. We talked about advertising being the thing. It all comes down to the dollars that advertisers are spending. The advertising is much more effective on streaming apps because they know it's no longer do they know whether or not somebody's watching in Detroit. Now they know who is watching in Detroit, how old you are, exactly what your viewing tendencies are, because the information about the shows that you're watching is pumped the other direction as well. It's all metadata. So what's that? It's all the metadata, yep. It's all about the metadata. So now they know all of that, which means that it used to be that like on cable, they would only run a Chevy Silverado ad. And everybody who's watching that network at that moment is watching the Chevy Silverado ad. And they had to hope that a certain segment of the audience that's watching that ad actually cares about that ad and it will inspire them to buy. But now you too can be watching the same exact show in different locations at the same exact time. You can synchronize and say, all right, and go. And when the advertisements come up, Mitchell, you'll get a Chevy Silverado ad and uh alex you're gonna get a carhartt ad oh amateur hour sorry you'll get a carhartt ad so the yeah. so the advertising on one hand becomes much more scattered in terms of the amount of advertising they need to produce but it becomes much more targeted and effective because they're already showing you stuff that you have a tendency to care about you know, how do they know what I have a tendency to care about? It's like a shotgun to a sniper. That's what happened. Absolutely right. Great analogy. How do they know what you care about? Right. Your phone. Data. Yeah. Data. Data. Everything. They know. So is, is that why it's so important for people to, you know, people meaning like Facebook, for example, or a big company, they want your data so that they could sell it. To other companies to, other to companies. know what you're doing. Okay. Between this and what do you and think? What, yeah. What do you think these networks are doing? What do you think Discovery is doing? What do you think okay. History is doing? History, what they're doing is they're saying, I've got this guy, Mitchell Levy, and I know that this is what he watches. I know he loves the Curse of Oak Island. And I know that yeah. he doesn't watch it at nine o'clock when it comes on. Instead, what he does is he waits two days later. And on Sundays, he watches it now. 
Okay. He doesn't watch it real time. He watches right. it. He time shifts and he watches it when he wants to. So now we know where you are. We know what you're watching. And because you've signed up for the service on the app, they know how old you are, mm. they know where you're located. And, so they, and then they sell that information to their advertisers so that their advertisers can create a much more targeted advertising campaign so that you and other people like you will, will take a shine to what they, and be responsive to what they pump in your, in your brain. So wild, man. That's wild. It's George Orwell. It's 1984. Dang, All right. My wife is calling me. I, I have to go. All right. So. Get out of here. You got a kid. All right. So it was really nice talking to you. I think we should we'll do it, it again. I'd be happy to. Yeah. We'll wrap it up. I'll write up more, more questions and we'll, we'll run it back. I had a, right. generally had a wonderful time. Next time you, you write up the questions, you could ask us. <laughs> yeah. You be the producer. You ask us. Okay. You got the good ones. Sure. Yeah. How's Lincoln? He's great. He's great. Yeah. He's a wild man. He's an he absolute wild man. Big fan of dinosaurs. Yeah. Loves dinosaurs. You know, he's uh my pride and joy. Oh, that's so nice to hear, man. Best thing that's uh that's ever happened to me, that's for sure. Wow, that's wonderful. It's amazing what a little bit of semen could do. <laughs> oh, geez, Louise. Crazy. All right. All right, it was good talking to you. Good talking to you too, man. Right. Love you. Thank you so much for coming. Love you. All right, Thanks. see ya. Bye. Take it easy.